Our scripture today comes from Matthew 8, verses 1 through 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great milestone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven there are angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go into search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be Amen. Y'all give it up for Jesse. That was a long scripture. Great job. <laughs> so, as human beings, we all have this tendency to create, create lists of the greatest of all times, right? For example, the greatest movie of all times is... Wow. Wow. Lord of the Rings. You guys were all wrong. Disappointed. 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 So, for example, the greatest band of all times is... The, uh, pastor's kid said the band Monarch. Yeah, that's good job, man. Good job. Good job. The, the greatest university in the state of Texas is the University of Texas, right? Just saying. I feel like the score yesterday provided a lot of evidence for, for my assertion, you know, 63 to 56, I think, was the final score. You know, I'm just, just, just throwing that out there. Now, <laughs> some of you, in all of those examples, totally agree with me and are ready to hit the amen. Others of you think that I'm a complete idiot. And that's okay. That's just how it is. Uh, that's, just, that's just the way we are as human beings. We, we like to rank and, and create lists and do these comparisons. It's, it's kind of how we are, we are wired. And for a lot of us, if we're not careful, we can get overly passionate about those lists and where things should fall and where things should rank. 
And I have to tell you that the disciples were a lot like us. They were doing the same thing. They were, they were thinking the same thing. They were working on their own greatest list of all times uh, when they asked Jesus the question, Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I think the answer that they got was definitely not the answer that they were expecting. But before we get into that scripture, I want to share with you the last story in our series, a story worth sharing. I hope you enjoy. When I was growing up, my mom and dad lived with my grandmother part of the time out on a farm. Well, out on that farm, we had water coming into the kitchen, but we didn't have uh, indoor plumbing or anything like that except in the kitchen. So we had an outhouse. Now we were uptown though, because we had a two-holer. So we were uptown. <laughs> dad was a farmer? He was, he was. He worked for an old farmer. He was a farmhand, so. But, oh my goodness, but we chopped cotton for extra money so we could go on vacation out, you know. So I really, I hated chopping cotton. <laughs> you know, we were, we were, we didn't have money. But you know, I didn't, I had no idea we were poor until I got older. And then the, the older kids would let me know what she doesn't have the money to go. Well, I started working at 14, driving into town. I was a waitress. So I could pretty much do what I wanted to do after that, but that's why I got a job so early. Mm. You know, I waited tables at the 87 Cafe. <laughs> wow. Vicki has had to work hard all her life, but I love that she doesn't see that as a burden, but as a blessing. Well, you know, I did a lot of, I, I did a lot of things. I worked for Johnston's Hardware. I worked for Virginia and Don Johnson. I worked for the Shell uh, Shell Pharmacy for a while. I worked for Pizza Hut. I managed Pizza Hut for six years. And then I, um, I got a job uh, working for Love's Country Stores. And I really enjoyed that so much. I love working with people. People is what I do, yes. Working at Love's Country Store was a job she loved. But the work hours didn't allow her time to spend with her kids. That's how she got into teaching. They had a PACE program at WT. Right. Yes. So that's an alternate education certification. And so I, I went and did that. And uh, trust me, I wasn't called to teach. I always said the only kids I like are my kids. But, <laughs> you know, um, and special ed wasn't really what I wanted to do. But they said, well, if you do special education, you'll always have a job. I thought, well. Um, so I, I went into special education, and you know what? I'm really good at it. I had one kid tell me, you know, Miss Matthews, you're the only teacher that I've had that didn't tell me I was dumb. And I think that's probably when I realized, you know, I'm good for these kids. Absolutely. So those kids need me. And you know what? I need those kids. <laughs> The Methodist Church has been a part of Vicki's life since she was a child. She grew up in the Methodist Church in Happy, Texas, and has been a part of our church for several years. 
I asked her how her life would be different if she didn't have the church. Hmm. Honestly, if I didn't have the church, I don't know that I would still, I don't think I would, you know, I don't know. I don't know because I'll be real honest with you. I'm an alcoholic and I haven't had a drink in 30 years. And that's because of God. God said, you got to quit this. You're killing yourself. And I did, you know, so I think it's made a difference. In the eyes of most people, herself included, Vicki has lived an ordinary life, but she has had a great life. It hasn't always been easy, but she has been content with where God has led her. I love her story and I love the story that God has written in her life. As we wrapped up our time together, I asked Vicki, what word would you want to give to our church? I think the biggest thing I would say is you can look back and enjoy the past, learn from the past, but look forward. Oh my goodness, forward is there's going to be so much to do. Amen. What a beautiful story. What have y'all thought about the uh, Story Worth Telling series? Have y'all enjoyed that series? Yeah, me too. Me too. I want to encourage you, if you have an opportunity, if you see uh, Rick, our senior pastor, or if you see Ben or Sean, those three people have had a, a huge, they've been the, the leading force in, in this sermon series. It's been so much more work, but it has been so, so valuable and so, so fruitful. So if you see them, please tell them thank you. Uh, we would appreciate that. Well, I just love, I love Vicki's story. And during Vicki's interview, there were so many different things that, that were discussed and talked about that honestly, the preaching team had a difficult time narrowing down what to focus on. That was the most challenging part of the series of taking this, this huge amount of content, this huge, just beautiful story of someone's life and narrowing it down to five minutes and then taking that five minutes and expanding it into a sermon. Uh, there were so many things that were talked about. I mean, after after. Vicky's interview, the sermon could have went in the direction of the value of hard work and exploring what Paul had to say about life and, at, and, and work. Or the sermon could have used part of Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians and, and where he's shared about faithfulness, the faithfulness of the church and how we should live out that faithfulness, being clothed in love and sharing our life together in gratitude. But finally, the decision was made to focus the to focus on the text from the book of Matthew. And that decision was made for several reasons. See, the thing that I find most striking about Vicki's story is her simple life and her humble spirit. And this, I believe, is the calling that Jesus has for us. I think this is the calling that Jesus is pointing us towards in the book of Matthew. So I want us to jump back into our text for this morning, and I want us to, again, start with that question from the disciples that they had for Jesus when they, when they kind of hunkered around Jesus and said, Hey, hey, Jesus, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, before we get to the answer, I, I think it's important for us to stop for a moment and consider why. Why were they asking this question? 
to be honest with you, I think it's because they're a lot like you and me. I don't think they ask this question from a deeply rooted uh, spiritual place. I don't think they walked in with humility. I think they walked into that question saying, hey, Jesus, who's, who's the greatest? Come on. Who's the greatest, Jesus? You know, it's Peter, right? It's Peter. And John, no, 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 it's John. It's got to be John. John's the greatest. See, the, I believe that the, the disciples were secretly hoping that Jesus would point at them and say, it's you guys. Obviously, you guys are the greatest in the kingdom. It's y'all. I, th- I think they were hoping for a, a high five and a pat on the back and an attaboy. I, I've seen what you've been doing. And yeah, you guys, y'all are the best. Y'all are the greatest. Y'all are at the top of my top 10 list. See, the disciples were trying to figure out what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. There's all sorts of disciples, but what type of disciple was Jesus looking for? It's different from other types of disciples. And and I'm sure the idea of discipleship that the disciples actually had, those those 12 men gathered around Jesus, I think it was was built upon the same idea that that we build greatness upon in, in our world. It's about achievement. It's about conquering. It's about being the best, the strongest, the fastest, the smartest. Those are the greatest. And I think that's what they expected Jesus to point out. He's going to point out all the things that they're great at and just affirm while they were at the top of his list. And so I want us to to, to go back and I want us to to reread what Jesus' answer was to his disciples. He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes such child in my name welcomes me. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone was fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight. In in the the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uh, has five major discourses, or we might use the word sermon. And this is, this, this, what we just read is the beginning of his fourth sermon. And it's on the subject that Jesus speaks most about. Over anything else that Jesus talked about, he talked most about the kingdom of God. Or what Matthew called the kingdom of heaven. 
And here in this sermon, Jesus is primarily concerned with changing the mind of his disciples and transforming the way of their thinking when it comes to their understanding of greatness and discipleship. So the question is asked, who is the greatest? And Jesus takes a child and then says to his disciples, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I got to be honest with you. I think when that happened, the disciples were like, what? What? Jesus, you want us to become like this kid? Because if, and I think we would have the same response because we all know that, that children are beautiful and they're, and they're funny and they're, and they're kind. But there's this other side of kids too, right? I mean, they like wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and like wake you up, right? Wanting cereal? Can I get an amen from somebody who's been woken up on Saturdays? That, I mean, that's early for me, right? Thank you, Desiree. Thank you. They throw tantrums. Anybody have a, a tantrum kid at any point? Come on, be honest. Your kids won't know. They'll forget this, okay? Yeah. Yeah. They throw tantrums, and sometimes they're selfish, and they don't like to share. How could Jesus be looking at his disciples, his, his 12 men who were going to carry this movement after his death and after he ascended into heaven and say, be like children? Thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave uh, the, the analogy there, he actually goes on and he expands what he's trying to say in verse 4. Uh, he says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, this, th we have this distinction here. And this is important. Jesus wasn't saying, become like a child. He was urging his disciples to become humble like a child. Jesus isn't even pointing out that the innocence of children because we all know as parents that sometimes children are innocent. What he's pointing out, what he's trying to highlight is that children operate from a place of humility. That they come from a place of vulnerability. That's what he's trying to get his disciples to see. Jesus is contrasting the world's view of greatness uh, with the greatness of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is pointing at this child and he's saying, look guys, I want you to be like this child. This child can't survive on its own. This child doesn't have what it takes to survive by itself. This child needs parents. This child needs community. This child needs guidance. And this child knows that. Be like this child. And I think this is hard for us to grasp because we're constantly seeking out ways to prove how we measure up. We, we actually go the opposite. Our goal in life is to prove that we don't need anybody. We don't need anybody's help. We can do it ourselves. We're, we're smart enough. We're, we're chasing the top of the top 10 list. And Jesus is trying to get his disciples and I think trying to get us to see that's, the, that's, that's not kingdom mindedness. You can make it to the top 10 of the world that way. 
but you'll be working your way towards the bottom of the list in the kingdom. Because if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, you have to be humble and vulnerable. You know, Jesus is, is trying to give his disciples the, the roadmap. And those who wish to enter into the kingdom of heaven need to understand with humble faith that they are powerless by themselves. They're powerless on their own. They have to understand that they can't be self-seeking. They have to cling to God's mercy the way a child clings to its parent's hand. I mean, I, that's one of my, my favorite moments with my own kids when we get out of, the, out of the vehicle and we're in a parking lot and they've, they've learned to discern that the parking lot is dangerous and we're walking and I feel that little hand creep into my hand. The situation is still dangerous, but my children know if they'll hold my hand, I will get them through the danger. That's how we need to cling to the Father. Now, I can't, no, not this attitude, I can get through life on my own, yeah, it's dangerous, but Jesus, I got this. I can walk across the street by myself. We have to be humble enough to sneak our hands into the hand of the Father and let him lead us to the dangers of this world. See, this metaphor that Jesus is giving his disciples and he's giving to us is focused on the true greatness of discipleship, which is exhibited in humility. But then Jesus goes on to give a warning along with this, this guidance. He says in verse 6, If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone was fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depths of the sea. See, Jesus, is act, he changes the metaphor in this moment. Did you catch that? First, he was talking about child, and then he transitions to little one. This is important for us to acknowledge because uh, we have to remember that Jesus wasn't, he wasn't just talking about children. Remember, he was, he was, talk, he was using this metaphor of, of humility for child, and then when he transitions the metaphor to little ones, he's actually talking about those of us who have decided to follow Jesus. We are his little ones. He's talking about those who've decided to be a disciple of Jesus. And then Jesus, uh, he, he goes on from there, and he uses a common type of, of illustration or argument to drive home his point. It's, an, it's, a, it's a common way that, that is used even today. It's called hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is, right? It's just a dramatic figure of speech to kind of catch people off guard and, and get their attention. It would be better if a millstone were fastened around your neck. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Let me, let me be clear. Jesus was not telling his disciples or me and you to cut our arms off or to gouge out our eyes, okay? That's, that's not where he was going. But what he was doing was trying to help us take seriously the manner in which we develop as disciples, and in that manner, using that hyperbole, Jesus talks about these stumbling blocks. And he's not talking about like a singular event. What he's talking about is living our lives in such a way that we cause others to sin. 
that we cause others to fall away from God, that if our lives, if our lifestyle leads humble disciples back into a lifestyle of sin, back into a place of rebellion against God, it would be better for us to cut our life off than to risk that fatal end. See, church, humility is critical for discipleship. It's critical in how we treat others. It's critical for us to know that we can succeed and still fail. We can succeed in this life and fail as disciples because we let our success fill us with pride instead of letting our service to God lower us into a place of humility and honesty about our need towards our Father in heaven. Jesus goes on to talk about the necessity for responsibility to, to take seriously these places in our lives that tempt us, that, that um, drive us to pursue greatness. Now remember, he's talking to his disciples. This is before the cross. He's preparing them for the time in their life that Jesus is no longer present and they're going to take the reins of this great movement called Christianity and he's telling them, if you want to be great, be humble. If you want to be great, be vulnerable. If you want to be great, acknowledge that you need help. That's how you're great in this kingdom that we call the kingdom of heaven. So after the warnings that Jesus gives, he goes on in verse 10 and says, Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. I just love this language because it's so personal. Their angels. See, I think what Jesus is trying to drive home is that for those who are pursuing God in humility, there are angels who have been assigned to them who are responsible for them to watch over them and guide them and support them in their pursuit of God. And I just love how what Jesus is talking to us flows so beautifully into Vicky's story. I, and during this section of the scripture, I can't help but think about Vicky's role as a special education teacher. Those children are truly dependent on adults to take care of them and direct them. They have to place their trust in somebody else. They are the very definition of vulnerable. And Vicky's treatment of them was as if she was treating the children of God. You know, I'm sure you were too, but I was especially moved when she shared about that one student who said, you know, Miss Matthews, you're not like the others. You've never called me dumb. How beautiful. What an affirmation. What an affirmation of the kind of life of humility and love that Vicky was leading and living. In our scripture, Jesus follows up that reminder about the angels uh, that take care of us. And he goes on with with a parable about his heavenly father. He says, what do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that went astray. So it is not the will of the father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. And again, what should strike us about this story is how much the shepherd rejoices over the one lost sheep 
when he's got 99 over in the pasture. See, it's not that the one lost means more. What Jesus is trying to get us to see is that it's the intent of the Father not to lose one little one. That's you. That's me. That the Father will do what it takes to find you where you are. And when he finds you, he'll celebrate and draw you back into the flock. The Father is dead set, is focused. His heart is turned towards doing everything possible to ensure that he doesn't lose even one little one that belongs to him. Again, that's you and that's me. I love that. So as we come to the the end of our scripture, I I want to return again to this question uh, that was asked by the disciples. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The greatest in the kingdom of heaven, did you notice, was not marked by personal accomplishment. Not It's not marked by your perfect church attendance or how much money you gave for the building fund. It wasn't even marked by how much you were willing to suffer. Greatness was marked by your vulnerability, by your ability to depend on the Father the way a child depends on his parents. That's how greatness is marked in the kingdom. And flowing out of humility, flowing out of this understanding that, that what we need can only be received from our Father in heaven, should come humility. And, and humility about the gift of salvation, humility about the gift of grace and forgiveness, and that, and that sense of humility should flow from there a willingness to serve in the kingdom. To, willing, to willingly be a part of one of those search parties that goes out to find the one. See, that's what we're doing, church. This is the flock. We're the 99. We made it. But outside these doors and around 8501 South Coulter and Amarillo, there's a lot of sheep that are lost. But you've been found. You know what it feels like to be found. You know what it feels like to be a part of a flock. Will you be willing to leave today, to leave the 99 and go out there and help the Father, help the Good Shepherd find the one and celebrate with him when you bring them back. That can only be done from a place of humility and vulnerability. Humility creates community. It creates kingdom community. Uh, we recognize that each of us uh, is, is the greatest in the kingdom and we're willing to serve one another. Humility moves us towards kingdom community. We, we stop, when we have this sense of humility, we stop competing with one another and we start working to serve and, and support one another. Humility keeps us accountable to each other. Humility helps us remember that we were all the one that fled at one time or another. We were all that one sheep that was lost at one time or another. That the Father had to come find all of us. And so there's no reason to rank one another. In the Father's eyes, we're all worthy of pursuit. As we wrap up, I want to invite the worship team to come up.
See, when I, when I look at Vicky's life, when I look at Vicky's life, I see somebody who struggled. I see somebody who faced hardship. And I'm sure at some point she, paid, she faced disappointment and pain. But I also see somebody who found their purpose and found their calling. Here's what we've got to get, church. In the eyes of the world, Vicky's life didn't make much impact. It just didn't. But in the eyes of the Father, she's a part of the greatest. In the eyes of the Father, she is a part of the greatest. She found a way to be a part, living as who she was. I love that she said, what I do best is people. She found a way to be a part of the greatest of the kingdom of heaven. And it's my prayer that you will follow her example and chase after being great in the kingdom, not great in this world. Let's pray. Help us, Jesus. Humble us today. Just like little kids, Father, sometimes we need to be reminded that we're not in charge. We're not the boss. And we're not the boss and we're not in charge because we, could, we, we couldn't be trusted with it. If you left us in charge, we would get puffed up with pride and, and overwhelmed with arrogance. So you lovingly remind us that you're the parent. But if we'll put our hand in yours, you'll lead us. And you'll show us how to be great in your family, in your kingdom. And I pray that we'll do that. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.